Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast. My name is Vicki Nethling and I am your host. Today we are going to talk to some to Deborah Thompson, Dr. Deborah Thompson. And she is one of the folks that I believe will empower you to be able to grow in your leadership by hearing her story and the things that will help you improve both your business and your life. Take it to that next level. She is an author and founder of One Health. She'll talk a little bit more about that. It inspires children and adults and the world about the value of interconnection between humans, health, and the health of the plants, environment, and animals. Very interesting. She also is a Train the Trainer program affiliated with One Health, and she served as science policy advisor in the United States Congress. I didn't know I had such an important person in my midst now. She's an award-winning public speaker. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Deborah Thompson. Deborah, so nice to have you on. Thank you, Vicki. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. And I'm so happy to talk about One Health Lessons and the book or whatever else you want to talk about. So we we have a bunch of questions to kind of go through, but I always like to kind of break the ice with some simple things just so people can get to know you a little bit better. So a simple question is, what part of the country do you call home? Uh, Ooh, that's not so simple for me. I've hopped around so much. Where I go for Thanksgiving, I'll say that, (laughs) yeah, is Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Uh, so where do you live now? Is it warm or is it still cold? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I'm in D.C. So ah, very good. Well, we know that you talked a little or we mentioned that you have the. The art of science book, so I'm kind of just making that our theme today, the art of science communication And I love science in school, but not everybody loves science. So I think it's kind of cool what you're doing, really making everybody more aware of the things, you know, we have to protect our planet. And so what a great leader you are to kind of take this on. Tell us a bit about One Health. Um, Who does it serve and how it came about? What what really gave you the vision to create this organization? Yeah, thank you so much for the question. It's a really important question because um, it had it had to be done. (laughs) Well, I'll say it like that. Um, So let's just break down what is One Health in general? 
One Health can be explained as a concept and an approach. The One Health concept is that interconnection you were just talking about, Vicki, that interconnection between our health and the health of the environment, animals, and plants. So sick environment, sick people, sick crops, sick people, sick animals, sick people, and it goes round and round and round, right? And then the One Health approach is really interesting because what that is, it's just simply teamwork between people of different backgrounds, strengths, disciplines. We come together and we prevent and solve health problems. So say the reason why I'm Dr. Deborah Thompson is because I'm a veterinarian. So if I work as a veterinarian alongside of a physician, a human doctor, and somebody monitoring for tick-borne diseases in the environment, in a community, and I realize that my dog patients are infiltrated with, infested, completely infested with ticks. Well, then I need to have this conversation with the local physicians nearby because guess what they're going to be seeing in a week, right? Yeah. So it's that, it's that collaboration, right? It's in order to improve the health of the environment, animals, and plants at the same time through teamwork. So that's what the One Health approach is. And then the One Health Lessons organization is meant to and is an organization to inspire children and adults around the world to value One Health. Because ultimately, we need to change societies if we want to have a sustainable planet. One of the best ways to do that is to have clear communication skills through these simplistic lessons that are engaging that are getting the kids and, and the adults to laugh, to play, to have fun, while also appreciating that everything truly is connected. So cool. There's so many opportunities. You could gamify this and, and make it something that the kids don't even realize that they're forming their own future core values to be more aligned with the protection of our planet. Exactly. And you can do it. You could do anything on this planet in the future, right? I see kids as stem cells. If you educate a child and get them to understand that everything truly is connected, they can become teachers and teach this to their students. They could become parents, grandparents, politicians. Mm -hmm. They could be anything. Engineers who work with biologists. You see what I mean? Yeah, domino effect. Domino effect. So start with kids. So you served as the science policy advisor in the United States Congress. What did that entail and how has it helped you in the current endeavors that you have? It was a life-changing experience. What, so I was a practicing veterinarian working in the clinics. My smallest patient was a little dwarf hamster this big. My largest patient was an Asian elephant. To give you an idea of what I was very comfortable in the OR in the operating room, you know, very comfortable in my scrubs, (laughs) not as comfortable in my business suit. Right. But I had the opportunity to spend a year on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., working in the United States Senate Mm -hmm. uh, through a program that's associated with um, It's called the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Super long. Otherwise, it's known as AAAS. Um, There's a fellowship program. 
The whole purpose of that fellowship program is to bring people of different backgrounds, disciplines, strengths uh, throughout science and STEM as a whole, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and have them get into the policy world at the top level and see how you can contribute to policy changes that would um, affect science or STEM as a whole and make sure that the policies are sound. So what I learned in that year, I was working in the United States Senate uh, for Senator Dianne Feinstein, a senior senator from California, one of the most influential senators. Um, And it was such an incredible experience because just sitting in the same room as her and observing her leadership skills and how she manages a well-run office, and it's it's really like a a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. just being in that environment day after day after day that in itself <laughs> was absolutely incredible then on top of that I was of course learning um, the ins and outs in policy and then I was also serving as the let's say liaison between uh, uh, scientists or physicians or veterinarians or whoever they are coming from the STEM field Um, they're coming into the office and then I have to translate what they're saying to inform policymakers because oftentimes, especially at the start of my year there, I see the, the policy staff and I was part of the policy staff speak one language and then the visiting scientists speak a totally different language. And because I've sat on both sides of the table, I know now how to bring those two bodies together. And that's the whole purpose of writing the art of science communication. So that kind of brings to my mind to question, is this something that expands beyond the U.S.? Do you have it a collaboration across the borders, across the world? Yeah, excellent question. So I'll just say the, the title of the book itself is The Art of Science Communication, and then the subtitle is Sharing Knowledge with Students, the Public, and Policymakers. So I raise that to prove the point, to answer your question, that with One Health Lessons, um, since I, before being a veterinarian, I was teaching. My youngest student was five years old. My oldest student was 65 years old. Oh, you know, kind of like this, kind of like the animals. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? So I know what works and what doesn't work for different age groups. I also know what works and what doesn't work for different backgrounds, Um, be it somebody in policy or somebody who's a parent who cares about their child uh, and they don't want to give them the wrong thing, you know, or put them in harm's way. God forbid, right? So um, those principles apply to any culture. Yeah. So ultimately, we need to know our audience and then craft our message, our science message, in a way that is receptive, um, appreciated. Um, I would say maybe the best way to describe it is to launch a conversation with your audience, because that's where really the learning comes in, the conversations. Absolutely. Well, hopefully this will kind of generate some conversations. Wouldn't that be cool? have a summit of, you know, different 
people across the world that can also kind of go for your cause, maybe a book too. Yeah, absolutely. You are a, you mentioned a little bit about this. You're a veterinarian and a speaker. So kind of two different things. Some veterinarians love to speak and then there's others that don't. And so those two careers, I hear two things. One is that whenever I do youth programs with the, the young ones to try to teach them public speaking and their first speech is about what they aspire to. And they oftentimes say veterinarian. I have rarely had a student say they aspired to be a speaker. <laughs> so what um, pushed you? Was it this cause, One Health, because pushed you into becoming a speaker? Or was that always something that you felt comfortable with? And um, it just was natural progression. <laughs> I see you're saying no. <laughs> No way, Vicky! Not at all. <laughs> Granted, I was I was raised on the stage because I I'm a musician, so I didn't mind eyeballs, you know, facing my direction. I didn't mind that. But my goodness, if I had to speak, forget it. <laughs> the problem, the problem in there lies that um, if you're going to be a veterinarian. Uh, and a clinician. So working in the clinic, working in the hospital with patients and with the families relying on those patients for either comfort or, you know, food or for milk or, you know, whatever the relationship is between the human being and the animal, um, you need to communicate medical jargon to the general public. And uh, I have to say it, I mean, it's four years after undergrad of, of intensive studying, uh, just it's just like medical school, right? Mm-hmm. And then after that, I did an internship, and then like it, the learning never stops. And that's one of the reasons why I liked veterinary medicine because it you cannot be bored as a vet. There's no excuse. Yeah, something's always changing, and that's the same thing goes for human medicine, right? right. Science right. is always changing, so it's one of the things that I liked. But ultimately, the reason why I joined Toastmasters, mm-hmm. which is, um, people say it's a public speaking club. I say it's a communication club. Yeah. You actively listen. You know how to proceed with giving feedback in a way that's helpful, but also not, uh, you know, only fluff. <laughs> right. and, and so with this communication club, I joined that back in 2013. When I realized that if I want to be the best veterinarian I can be, I need to speak efficiently, effectively. I need to have um, my, we call clients, so the animal owners, understand what I'm saying in an appropriate time period. Um, So that's why I joined Toastmasters. From there, leadership skills, it's, it's just natural with Toastmasters. And then when I was working in policy, again, leadership skills were cultivated there, too. I would think that, too, it it really forms how you're a leader, being somebody that has to talk to the parents of an animal that is sick. You have to talk with that, that tone and that empathy that reassures them that you have their best interest in mind and and not all doctors have that, so I, I can see how 
this definitely would help you. Yeah, definitely not all doctors have that, but they could if they read this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, I was thinking if you could just apply that to doctors who, you know, like my mom, she has about 12 doctors. And whenever she would come and live with me for six months, I was her champion. And I was the interpreter of the, you know, so that Dr. A and B and C all knew what was going on. If we could just have that coach or that, I I always say, if if we could just have project management in the doctor field, it would be awesome to have a project manager that coordinates all these different doctors. So similar to what One Health has. I'm going to go kind of a different direction here. What is your favorite failure? Yeah. What is my favorite failure? It's a good question because anybody who has done anything has to have failed at least once. Otherwise you're just staying put. And then where's the fun in that? But failing is not fun when you're in the middle of it. That's for sure. Um, I'd say one of my favorite failures is when I... So I ended up doing two undergraduate degrees at the same time, thinking, oh, yeah, this would be enough to get me into veterinary school. Ultimately, it was not. <laughs> so, so I applied to vet school. I don't get in. Fine. What am I going to do? I need to make a living. I need to put a roof <laughs> over my head. Right? Pay for school. Pay <laughs> <After> for school. <laughs> my goodness, I have to adult now, right? Oh, um, I had a lot of, I had a lot of different jobs. Um, two of my jobs that were paying, um, was ultimately teaching in a middle school and teaching adults English, uh, as a second language. So if it wasn't for that year between undergrad and vet school, I wouldn't have truly appreciated my love for teaching. And when during that time, you know, I was distraught. I wanted to get into vet school. Um, but uh, standardized tests are not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's ultimately what they said. They were like, yeah, just to redo the graduate uh, records exam, the GREs. Um, deep breath. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would say that was one of my most beneficial failing experiences. <laughs> And I think that's what a lot of people, leaders, uh, entrepreneurs, et cetera, they are so afraid of failure that it's going to hamper them from their success. But it's those little failures that we learn the most from. You know, I, I can think of every failure that I've had, and that lesson stuck with me far more than if somebody told me how to do it a shortcut way or or if I stumbled on the right way the first time, which is not always. So how in your, your career as both an author and a veterinarian and, you know, a member of society, how do you relate to your clients, to the folks, the importance of not being perfect? (laughs) 
my goodness, I am so far from perfect. It's not even funny. <laughs> so, you know, laugh and cry with them. I, I mean, when it comes to uh, veterinary medicine, a lot of people don't have pet insurance, right? So it's all mm-hmm. out of pocket expenses. And that can be incredibly difficult um, for so many factors. And ultimately, my my job is to give the client or the you know pet owner here are the options yeah these are the consequences of these options and just lay it all out on the table <laughs> and i say you know we don't live in a perfect world yeah. um so we do the best we can with the knowledge that we have and then from there we have a conversation yeah but um i'm never going to pressure somebody to do anything that they don't want, but it is my obligation. It is mm. within my ethics that I need to make sure that they understand and make the decision based on a true understanding of what is going on with their pet or their, their animal one, one way or the other. When you do your train the trainer program, do you deal with both adults and children? Do you have two separate programs? So as you're dealing with the students, what are some things that you do to excite them and to motivate, persuade them to really dig deeper? What are some programs that you have? Uh, Yeah. So I'll I'll touch upon the train the trainer program at the high level at start, and then I'll dive in. So the train the trainer program is for people who are 18 years old and above. Um, They are these volunteers are coming from all different points of the earth and they're coming from all different disciplines, backgrounds. It does not matter if they have a college degree. It does not matter if they have a postdoctorate or two different postdoctors. It doesn't matter. All that we care about is number one, can you pass a background check? Because we are talking with kids, right? Mm-hmm. Number two, um, are they passionate about one health? Because I feel like out of everything you can teach, mm-hmm. you cannot teach passion. Yeah. That comes from inside. So you can lead a horse to water, right? But you can't make them drink. You can get them excited about a particular lesson, but are they going to remember that lesson later on, right? And so back in 2001, when I started teaching, these are the types of things that I was thinking about. And when I started to develop this curriculum that's associated with One Health lessons, um, I made sure that the students, regardless of the age, can enjoy what they're learning. And at the same time, they learn. Like they focus on the competition or the contest in the lesson, right? They don't necessarily focus on, oh my gosh, I have to remember this this fact. I think that also makes the facilitator, the instructor, get to that passion level that and it and it's able to be really translated to the students then I know right not everybody can do that exactly and that's where the train the trainer program comes in because it's four steps it's self-paced we teach um, the volunteers how to talk to a six-year-old versus a 16-year-old right very different techniques yes then they have to watch a lesson that's recorded on YouTube and they have to pass a quiz. And it talks about the quiz questions are about teaching techniques. Uh, how is this said? 
instead of just the content of the lesson. Mm-hmm. It's really about observing the communication styles. Then the third step is to observe a live lesson be taught, see what act live action looks like with 20 to 38 year olds, for instance. Mm-hmm. And this would be online. And then the first, the fourth step is to teach your own lesson with a, somebody serving as backup to assist you if you need help. At that point, you become a certified lesson leader. But for the people who are truly motivated, sure, at that point, their their science communication skills are probably in much, much, much better than how they were first started, right? But for the people who really want to make a difference in their community, we have a One Health Lessons Ambassadors program, oh. which means you teach five times locally. We have documentation. We have to have you know photos and things like that. Um, to make sure that you actually did what you say you did and surveys from the full-time teacher completed. And then it is your responsibility as an ambassador to teach others in your own first language, in your own communities, how to do those first four steps, how to get them to be certified lesson leaders. Um, And that way you don't need to rely on English anymore. You just need one bilingual person and then it gets into different communities around the world. That's awesome. And do you do this in person and online or only in person? Only, well, during COVID, only online. Ah. Yeah. Um, totally depends on where we are talking about on this planet. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there are different protocols. There's different uh, concerns with COVID in in different areas of different countries. So depends on what we're talking about, but How quickly um, were you able to pivot? Oh, we started off in 2020 already. So we started off virtually. However, I was very um, conscious of making these lessons accessible to everybody. So these lessons are available in a PowerPoint format that can be printed out and people can teach in person just showing the slide. Awesome. It could be taught underneath a tree. It does not need to be in a classroom. Very cool. Very cool. All right. What is your definition of leadership then? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have, I've had about 45 interns since, the, since May of 2020. And that's one of the questions that I ask in the interview process. It's very important to me to hear their definition because everybody has a different definition. What is your definition of leadership, right? So leadership, um, in my opinion, is uh, it can grow over time. As in, you could start off being uh, the type of leader that leads by example, but then you can pivot to be a servant leader where you serve as the assistant to the people who you were once truly mentoring. And that's what I typically do when I start to onboard people from around the world in this uh, One Health Lessons program. So it's every intern has a substantial role in mm-hmm. One Health Lessons and the learning curve is quite steep because it's so much material and it, it, it really has a global impact for every single person on the, on the team. So I need to set 
pretty, um, I don't want to say strict, but I want to have everybody at the same level of professionalism Mm. and understand that showing up on time is a priority, you know, things like that. Because different places around the planet, no, <laughs> you know, I know what you're talking about. It's late, you know what I mean. Um, so those very, very basic things. But then also, because we have a global team, yeah. we um, emphasize the importance of cultural sensitivities, mm. and we create an environment that's safe kind of like Toastmasters, it's, Mm -hmm. you're fine, you're fine to quote, unquote, fail. And I say, quote, unquote, because you don't actually fail. These are all just learning opportunities in a safe environment. Um, So my definition of leadership is um, ultimately the best type of leader is the leader who knows their team and and knows what the team needs at the appropriate time. And then be able to fit it. I know that that was one of the items that Darren Hardy talked about in the hero's journey was, you know, you have, you do have different stages. A a leader has different levels too. You need to be able to lead such a diverse group of people now in the 21st century, but you, you start out leading by example can mean that you show them how to you know, you, you show and teach, but then after that, it's really the coach, the advisor, the, the person who is strategic in that. And, and a lot of folks, I think have a, a little bit of a hard times pivoting from doing teaching to thinking big picture strategic. And I'm sure, I'm sure writing a book that kind of came out. Yes, and it's like, where where's the moment where you need to let go? Mm-hmm. Where's the moment that you truly trust your team to fly on their own? Yeah. Yeah, and, and especially with your group that, you know, it's it's out there and uh, such a wide group, too. Yeah, lots of different backgrounds, cultures, languages. Um, but if I... And I try to have an open door policy that they can come to me if they need any extra help, either personally or professionally. Um, But if I see that they just need to have the opportunity to succeed, I'll give them that opportunity. I tell them at the very first meeting that I have with the whole group, I'm never going to put you in a situation that you will not succeed. So you have to trust me. And then from there, yeah. they prove it to themselves. And I think for your situation, you mentioned that you have 18 to 60 years old, for, for, for example, doing this. So you have to be able to communicate on those various levels, clearly, concisely, with empathy and understanding, which means you have to do your homework to understand what it is that motivates an 18-year-old and what motivates that 60 year old, maybe retiree that um, has been there, done that. Yeah, it's true. And I use a technique that I've never seen done before. I just did it when I was starting to work in middle schools, teaching kids between the ages of 11 and 16. 
And the very first day I get to meet a, a large class, I introduce myself, I have everybody ask me a question, and then before the alarm bell goes, you know, for the next class, I ask them, can you fill out uh, the answers to these questions? What's your name? What's your favorite candy? You know, things like that. So that I know in the future, what type of activities can I plan for? Or what's the type of music? What's your favorite type of music? Because then if I was teaching English language learners, I can choose a fill in the blank let, you know, song for people. So I tailor my leadership techniques to the individual. And with these interns, I ask them also, what do you fear? Mm. Where, where do you want to improve? What can you achieve with this position? Those types of things. I want to know really, why are they doing this? Awesome. Okay. What would be three pieces of advice that you would give that young Deb, not even a doctor yet, that young Deb 20 or 30 years ago? Three pieces of advice. Oh boy. Um, um, uh, my, my, my career has been such a jungle gym. It's not a ladder. It's a jungle gym. So I, <laughs> I love that. Um, I would say uh, there's a, uh, there's a phrase that I, I lived by in my twenties that said, not all those who wander are lost. Um, I would say if you come across a situation that you feel might be a waste of time, try to find what you can take from the experience that's positive, as in what can you learn from that experience so you don't have to repeat it or that you can do the exact opposite. Um, And I'd say to get out of my head a little bit because growing up, um, I was, I I don't want to go on a tangent, but I was uh, in a, I was a musician for many years and I was doing lots of auditions and it was a very competitive process Mm -hmm. anyway. Um, But I put so much pressure on myself. Mm -hmm. And in a way that was good because it forced me to work harder and it forced me to learn how to manage time, how to achieve certain goals in a, you know, at a, by a deadline and such. Um, But I would say, try to enjoy the learning while you're learning, but growing pains are hard. Mm -hmm. Growing pains while learning, it it can be tough. So stick with it and believe in yourself. As a, a musician, I think that goes back to our earlier comment or question regarding not being perfect. Yeah. Because, you know, any athlete, musician, artist, they have that strive. I just want to be perfect at this, this painting, this music, this play, whatnot. And and it's devastating when it's not. And it just attacks your confidence so much that every time, you know, everything's imprinted on us. So every time that kind of situation comes up again, that imprinted situation will cause you to maybe not be as courageous or fearless or even 
daring enough to try. You may pass so many things on your path, your journey that would have changed your whole tra- trajectory of life. Exactly. And what's perfect, right? Like what's <laughs> yes. the perfect? My perfect might be not your perfect. Exactly. So, yeah. Very good. Very good. You said you can teach anything but one thing. Please, I'm just dying to know what that one thing is. Yeah, um, like I mentioned earlier, I said it in passing, but I feel like you really cannot teach passion. No. I, yeah. That, and you have to believe in it. I, I do the youth program for, to, for Toastmasters, and I think that's truly my passion. It's, it's just so fulfilling to see a, the light in a child's eye when they realize that they just communicated. And especially when you work with the students that are in situations where maybe that two minutes that you, or for our speeches, they're four minutes for the kids. So that four minutes might have been the only time in their lives that somebody listened to them intently for four minutes. So impactful. Right. And I feel like um, I do talk about Toastmasters in the book, The Art of Science Communication. (laughs) I do talk about how it has changed my life. Because if you start, you say these are teenagers? Eight to 17. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, if I been, had that type of experience, that's, I know. <laughs> that's exactly why I'm so passionate about it. Because, you know, most of us don't attempt to improve our communication and leadership skills until we're in our 30s. And we've gone through trials and tribulations and failures as a leader or as a manager, supervisor, whatnot. And all of a sudden we realize we have to do something. And so as an adult, then we're trying to do it. If I can help these students think how much better they'll be in high school, college, job interviews, future leaders, they will change the world. And, and that's why I do what I do for that. But that's not, we're not about talking about me. We're going to talk about you. And I have, it was very funny that you talked about um, your favorite things because I, And the last group of questions is always a rapid fire of favorite things. So rapid fire right now. And it's your favorite and why table topics kind of thing here. Favorite and why favorite animal. I can't have a favorite. I'm a veterinarian. (laughs) I, yeah, I can treat everything but people. So (laughs) Okay. Oh, this next one might be just as hard. Favorite ice cream? Oreo? Oreo. Okay. Oreo. Mm. Now, you love plants, animals. So, what is your favorite tree? And why? Cherry blossom. Why? I love cherry blossoms too. Gorgeous. And they're often near water. Mm-hmm. And where and you live, you've got yeah. the best cherry blossoms in Washington, yeah. D.C. Good for the soul. Well, this kind of maybe goes with that. What is your favorite season? 
spring. Yeah, spring. Why would you say spring? My birthday's right around there too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anything um, with this. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I just love seeing the earth come alive. I mean, it's been alive all the time, right? Dormant, but it's really when it springs alive. Yeah, the smells, the sounds, everything about it. It's just such a wonderful time here in Georgia as well as in D.C. Ours just starts a little sooner than yours. (laughs) The last one is travel location. Had all the money in the world. Where would you go and why? I... I really want to go back to, because I, I missed this section, um, the Southern Island of New Zealand. Yes. Yes. And why? Oh, my goodness. Somebody just Google. <laughs> Somebody just look up pictures and you'll see exactly yeah. why. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to get to. Yeah. Fiji, all those places are on my bucket list. Well, I want to thank you for being my guest today. You've been so entertaining, inspiring. We want to make sure that everybody goes to Amazon and looks up the art of science communication by Dr. Deborah Thompson. I'm going to share my screen if you don't mind and give them some information regarding your website. There you go. Thank you. So here we have her Website of OneHealthLessons.com. That's One Health, capital H, capital O, capital L. So OneHealthLessons.com. And her Instagram is at Deborah Thompson, D-V-M. We, and the, all the others, if you have interest in them, you certainly can email me. I will send you the information. But uh, I'm sure they're all on her website at One Health Lessons. She does have a YouTube site, so check her out on YouTube. And the other thing I have is um, wanted to share with you all just as a personal thing for me, because this week I have a book that's coming out where I'm chapter five. (laughs) So Unstoppable Being Fierce, Fearless, and Unfuckwithable. There's a word in life and business. Yes, I did not come up with the title, but it is a fun one. Um, so I am chapter five about leadership and confidence. So should check that out. It's coming out around the 10th on Amazon for just $1.99. So check that out. All right. We'll stop sharing. And again, thank you so much. Um, I want to thank Deborah Thompson, Dr. Deborah Thompson, for sharing her stories, great tips, the information about her book, One Health, and also, again, remind you to check out her book on Amazon, I'm sure, right? So that book, again, is the, oh, I lost my page, The Art of Science Communications, Communication, Singular, And I want you to make sure that you go to her website with any questions you have. If you'd like to be one of her um, interns or find out more about that, I'm sure she'd be happy to share that with you. If you're concerned about our world and you think that this is a fantastic idea like I do to have one place where we can just all be talking the same language to make 
our world a better place. So Deborah, thank you so much. It's been just so wonderful. And it, we will make sure that uh, you get advance notice for anything new that comes up with Deborah. I'll keep in contact with her and we'll have her back again. So Deborah, thanks so much. Thank you, Vicki. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.